What does it mean to thrive? Is it success? Is it significance? Can it be both? Let's find out today with our guest, Aaron Walker. Are you tired of just going through the motions? Do you know that there's more to life, but you aren't sure how to become all God made you to be? Are you looking for a community of people who aren't perfect either, but who want to be fully alive? This is Made to Thrive. Each week, we encourage, equip, and empower you on your journey as we interview experts and share resources to help you every step of the way. Let's thrive together. Aaron Walker, welcome to Made to Thrive. Thanks so much for being here. Hey, Sam. Man, thank you so much for having me. I've been looking so forward to this today, and it's just an honor to be your guest. Thank you. And as have I, uh, if you haven't heard of Aaron Walker before, uh, among other things, uh, he is the author of View from the Top, uh, Living a Life of Significance, which we're going to be diving into today. Uh, he's also uh, the founder of Iron Sharpens Iron, which is a mastermind group, which I would imagine we're going to talk about today, Aaron, uh, as we're looking for how to thrive. Um, and most importantly, uh, the husband to Robin and the father of his two daughters as well, uh, which is really where um, you know the, the rubber hits the road in terms of whether or not you're having a, a successful life, right? No doubt about it. Yeah. I really, after I read your book, I was like, I really just want to have an interview with Robin. <laughs> I know. I, she would she make a lot better guest and she would <laughs> be right. uh, very straightforward. <laughs> that's right. Let me first tell you, let's demystify Aaron. And then <laughs> let's talk okay. about how do you do, how do you put a marriage together for 36 years? Yeah. Uh, which is just- Hey, don't shortchange okay. me. We got 41 years. You're 41. Oh, I, I apologize. Four, there you go. 41 years. Yeah. There I want is. credit for every year. That's, so uh, That's right. Yeah. We that's got right. married two weeks out of high school. Oh, that's so great. So I, I love the title too. And, and I think that what the, the theme that's woven through the whole book is this idea of sort of a, a balance or maybe even kind of a, a war between success and significance. So I don't know if we, we, we could start there a little bit, just because it's in your subtitle, Living a Life of Significance, and maybe flesh those concepts out a little bit. Yeah, I have to go back if it's okay, Sam, and uh, give you a little context uh, yeah. for how I got there. So, uh, native Nashvilleian, I've been here sixty years. We're three mm. generations deep here in Nashville, Tennessee. I said there's only a handful of native Nashvilleians left, but right. thankfully I'm one of them, That's and right. I, I love it here in Nashville. Raised our family here, but I grew up as a very poor kid, mm. and then when I was eighteen years old, I went out on my own, started my first business. And the entrepreneurial bug really bit me bad. Like Robin and I got married two weeks out of high school, as I said earlier. And then I said, Robin, you know, I don't want to be broke my whole life, so I'm going to work and we're going to make something of ourselves. And I really set out to, to accomplish something for ourselves. And, and we did. And then I was able to sell out to a Fortune 500 when I was 27. Mm. I thought that was pretty cool. I went broker from broker than a convict to being able to retire at 27. Yep. But then I started noticing that the things weren't scratching the itch like I thought it was going to. And uh, the possessions and the titles and the accolades really weren't resonating with me like I had anticipated or hoped that they would. And I took about 18 months off and uh, I got fat and lazy. I gained about 50 pounds in 18 months. And Hey, that takes dedication. It did. A lot of dedication. I was a one pie a day man. And so, uh, but anyway, that didn't take long to catch up with me. But then Robin said, Hey, I didn't sign up for this. Like you've got to do something. So I went and bought the company that I started with when I was a teenager 
And then we built it uh, four times the size it was over the next nine years. And so mm-hmm. by this time, I'm 40. And I was headed to the office on August 1st, 2001. And unfortunately, I ran over and killed a pedestrian that mm-hmm. day. And it really rocked my world. Wow. I took five years off. And that's where really the paradigm shift happened is that I had gained a lot of success financially, but I had no significance. Mm. And that's the reason, uh, that's the genesis for the book. It's like, hey, I want you to be successful, but I don't want you to forget the significance piece. And so that's the reason that I wrote View from the Top, helping people to understand how they too could have a view from the top, but not forget significance along the way. So what does that look like? Because obviously, and I think that's really uh, a ready move or, or thought for somebody who says, okay, oh, that guy's really successful. That one's really successful. It is almost, at least for me, maybe this is my point of view. It's almost always money. And then when you had the money, you realize there's more. So what, what's that more? Or, you know, how does, how does that's that? That's a great question. Yeah. Thank you, Sam. That's a great question. I don't ever want to mislead people because I hate it when people with money go, oh, money's not important. I want to go, you liar. It's very important. Like just not as. Yeah. The thing is, is I don't want money to be my God. Mm -hmm. I don't want it to be my central focus. And it Mm -hmm. was for so many years. And I came home with a pocket full of money to a house full of strangers. Mm. And I'm like, man, that's not what I'm wanting. I'm wanting to be there for Brooke and Holly, my daughters, Mm -hmm. and I want to be there for Robin. And I want other people to want to be around me, not necessarily for what I have, but for who I am. Mm. And so when you really think through what your legacy would be today, if hypothetically, you know, you were to be taken out, what would your legacy be? And mine would have been poor kid from Nashville, Tennessee, makes enough money to retire at age 27 and nobody cares. Mm. And I said, that's not what I want my legacy to be. I want my legacy to be, hey, Sam Feeney's life is better as a result of having known and interacted with me. I want to help catapult him to the level that he wants to go. I want to be that encourager. I want to edify him. I want to lift him up and I want to point him in a good direction. And that's what I want my legacy to be. I want to be the husband God created me to be for Robin. I want to be the dad for Brooke and Holly. Nobody can be the dad for Brooke and Holly but me. Nobody can be the grandfather to my five grandchildren but me. And I want to do those things well. And so it just really helped me reorient my focus to what success was. Mm. Success financially is a portion of it without a question because I like to live in a nice house. I have a nice studio here. I have a nice car. I love to take nice trips. There's nothing wrong with any of those things, but when it's your central focus and it's the only reason you want to make money, then you can get a little bit discombobulated and really lose track of your focus. And so we just help people really focus on what that means. Have you thought about why? That's an appeal for people. Why? Why success seems to be uh, a default, or an, at least an initial target for so many people over significance. Yeah, I, I think that because uh, we want nice things, and that's okay. I think that it takes money to travel and have a nice house and a nice car, mm-hmm. and I want those things. Right? It's not that I want to live in poverty, and it's not that I want to make a minimal amount of money and just scrape by. I don't want to kick it neutral and just coast. I don't want to do those things. I'm a creator developer. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that I really push the envelope, that I live a life of great success and significance as I go forward. 
but but what I don't want to do is to think that more money is going to make me happy because happiness is a choice. It's not a trait. And we have to really understand the fact that just because I have a little bit more money doesn't equate to making me a little bit more happy. Because if you look at the national statistics and the data supports that money up until about $70,000 makes a huge impact because it helps us meet our basic needs. But really, it's almost infinitesimal after $70,000. And then you get that new car and it's nice for a few minutes. You get that new house. It's nice. But then you find out really what matters most is relationships. Hmm. And that's my first core value is relationships matter most. And then when you lose those things, if you're not careful, your identity is tied to those positions or to those tangible possessions. Mm -hmm. And if you lose either of the two, then you feel worthless. Then you feel you've lost your identity. For me, I'm a Christ follower. So my identity is found in Christ. And I don't want to teach a Sunday school lesson or preach a message here, but the truth is that's where I find real significance. Mm. Absolutely. And that we're looking for when, when you lose those things. And, and you say this in your book, I think it's so good. Why do we wait until something drastic or life altering happens before we start making good choices? And that's where you were at age 40, right? Of a, man, this, this is really, this is forcing me to have a paradigm shift. This, uh, this event, this tragedy, what's, what do you think is is keeping people from making better long-term decisions or more seeking significance sooner in their lives? You know, I talked to a friend of mine recently, Mike McCallowitz. He's written a number of books, and um, he's probably best known for The Pumpkin Plan or Profit, Profit First. First. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so he's writing a new book, and he interviewed me recently, and he said, you know, I want to dive into your automobile accident. And, he's, hmm. and so we went through that story. And then he said what he has found out, the vast majority of people that are pretty successful today has have had a major life-altering event in their life. Oh, wow. And most people, you know, they have a heart attack, then they lose weight. They have a divorce, and then they go take care of themselves and start treating their girlfriend or their boyfriend like an unbelievable person. I'm like, why don't you lose the weight and treat him like a prince to begin with? You wouldn't have got a divorce. Like, why do we do that? And I think that it's just that we need these wake up calls, right? Why didn't I make a good decision financially prior to the automobile accident? I don't know that I can answer that, but I do know that those reflective times in our life really help us understand uh, what's important, how we prioritize our priorities in our life. Mm -hmm. And realize, and even in the book, you know, uh, chapter six is titled Blindsided. And I think that's what happens to most of us. You know, we really start hurting one day and you go like, man, I got chest pains, you know, and you have a heart attack. And then you go, man, I know I should have dropped 30 or 40 pounds and I should start exercising. And I think that we're intelligent human beings. And one of my quests in doing the podcast interviews is to help people make good decisions prior to having to. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You have a lot more latitude when you choose to do it more than when you feel like you're forced to do it. Uh, but sometimes that urgency isn't there. And I, I wonder about that. I was thinking about that with success. And, you know, do we chase success because it's more measurable than significance and what we measure? Possibly. the treasure? Yeah. It's hard to measure significance. You know, I think mm-hmm. of success being about ourselves and significance being about others. And it's hard to quantify oftentimes a level of significance. But here's the thing. I've been asked that question before, is that 
we know whether we're significant in the lives of other people or not, right? And it's not necessarily quantifiable, but you know if you're doing it. And I just want to encourage your listeners today to think about that. We do an exercise with our grandchildren, and it's called Gratitude Day. Mm-hmm. And years ago, it's been six years ago now, I was asked to watch our grandchildren while my wife and my daughters went shopping on Black Friday. Well, I hate to shop. I mean, I hate going shopping. So I said, I'll be happy to watch them. So I took the kids, we loaded them up in the car. We went around to the nursing home and we gave out cookies to everybody. We went to Vanderbilt Children's Hospital. We gave away toys to all the children. Mm. We went around to the hospital waiting rooms and gave donuts out to the people that were having surgery that day. We went through drive throughs and we were giving out money to people that work on you know, Black Friday. And we couldn't do anything for ourselves and we couldn't tell them who we were. And so we titled that Gratitude Day. And so we do it every year now with all of our grandchildren. And it is one of the best experiences that they could possibly have because we're focusing on others and not ourselves. Absolutely. And my grandchildren will tell you, Big A, they call me Big A. They say, Big A, this is the funnest day of my life because they're doing things for other people. Man, why can't we as adults mm-hmm. gravitate to that and experience what real gratitude is and be generous to a fault? I love that because as I'm going through the book, I'm thinking about all these different questions that you're you're bringing up in me just by sharing your story. It, it's it's so comprehensive because you talked about relationships being core, and thinking about if I think about the comparison between success and significance, and you talk about this in the book as well. It a lot of times is based on our mindset, and if you, if I'm trying to get so that I can measure myself as successful. Or am I trying to give so that I can then be uh, significant? There's an abundance mindset that, you know, backdoors us into having all that we need. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's really ironic about this uh, when we approach it this way. We're always looking for givers in our mastermind. We have 20 groups now. It's called Iron Sharpens Iron Mastermind. And we're always looking for givers and not takers. And here's what's cool. Since I've developed this mindset in our business, in the construction industry I was in, you know, in owning uh, the masterminds, what I have found out is, is that not only are we far greater in significance, but our financial ability now is two, three X greater than it's ever been. And I think that's the way God intended it. When we do it right, when we bring the light, when we help, we encourage, when we share, Uh, Other people want to do the natural reciprocity of the same. And so you surround yourself with people now that are wanting to connect with you. They're wanting to help you. There's this natural reciprocity that goes on that really makes life really enjoyable to live because you're trying to outserve one another. You're trying to help. You're trying to connect. And then I always tell everybody, stop trying to make the sale and try to add value and if you do that, you're going to make the sale, you're going to add value, and you're going to have a level of significance. That's so great. And I want to dive into that. Um, as you talked about, Iron Sharpens Iron and the mastermind groups that have, that's been really a foundational component of your success. And probably after this paradigm shift um, of the, the accident of your significance. And one of the keys there uh, is that and you talk about this in your book, being able to ask for help and being vulnerable. And I'd love to hear a little bit about in your own experience or just what you know from your guys in your, in your mastermind groups. Why is that so important? And why is that sometimes so difficult for people? Well, I think it's very difficult, especially for men, because we want people to think we've got it all together. 
And years ago, when I was asked to be in Dave Ramsey's mastermind group, I saw him at the Curb Center in Nashville at a Mercy Me concert. And Dave and I've been friends for 30 years. I was his second sponsor of his radio show when he first started. (laughs) And uh, I sponsored his show for 21 years. And so we became very good friends as a result of that sponsorship. Well, Dave invited me to join his mastermind. I didn't want to do it. And I went home and told Robin, I said, he's going to be all up in my business. He's going to be up in my face because he's such a hard charger. And I said, I don't want him to know I don't have it all together. I don't want him to know I'm not a great husband and I'm not a great dad. And I don't really know all the basic fundamentals of everything that possibly he does. And I said, if I go in there, I'm going to have to be vulnerable and transparent and authentic. And I want those guys to think I've got it all together. So Sam, I went anyway and I sat over there in the corner for a little while for about two or three months. And then I saw Dave Ramsey has problems. You're kidding me. Hmm. Like Dan Miller, 48 days of work. You know, he's having issues too. Ken Abraham, he's written a hundred books. That guy's having problems too. And I'm like, man, if these guys are having problems in their life, maybe you I have permission should here. Right. I have permission. Right. Yeah. And so I did. I started sharing. And this was over the course of years. We sure, met 10 sure. or 12 years. But when we first started, these guys didn't have all that they've got now. It's because of the mastermind that they do. It's because of their vulnerability, because of their transparency, because they said, hey, here's my superpowers. Here's where I'm strong. But here's my kryptonite. And here's the upper limit challenges I'm having yes. with my blind spots. And I need you guys to help me. And it provided a safe environment for me to go, man, I can encourage you and help you, but this is an area I need help. And they did. They rallied around and they supported, which exponentially made me much more successful than it would be going it alone. And so it's just so rewarding that when you are transparent and vulnerable, because here's the truth, Sam, here's the truth. Let's just be honest for a minute. We're all a bunch of knuckleheads, right? (laughs) None of us have it all together. People listening to this right now, you don't have it together either. There's people right now, every night, they're laying in bed with their spouse and they're talking about, I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't know how we're going to pay the mortgage. I don't know how we're going to send the kids to that school. And then they go out in public and everything looks like the Barbie and Ken. Everything is great. You know, the big car. The truth is, is they've over leveraged. They don't have the cash flow they need, and they're crumbling and dying inside. But they're too prideful. They have ego, and they won't allow other people to come around. So they're going to crash and burn at the expense of their family because they're too prideful to share that they need help. That's right. But, man, it is so rewarding when you come around and you have a community or an accountability group or a mastermind group that you can go, hey, here's the good, the bad, the ugly. And I need your help. And when you do that, it just makes you better. I love this. One of my favorite billboards of all time was on a a highway near uh, my house when we used to live in Pennsylvania. And it was uh, a PSA for some sort of uh, um, heart care thing. And it was one out of of 10 men die of stubbornness. (laughs) I thought that describes where we are. Um, And my concern a lot of times is for the guy who's having those thoughts and isn't even voicing them to his spouse. He's so afraid. The time he's not. Yeah. Yeah. And here's what happens. All of a sudden, the spouse then finds out there's a problem. Yes. And sometimes it's too late to resolve it. Right. And now we've got a relationship barrier, right? Because you're not intimate with your spouse, Mm -hmm. you know, emotionally, because there's this thing 
And so now everything deteriorates around that. So your business goes down, yep. you do it at the expense of your family. And I always say, don't come home with that pocket full of money to a house full of strangers, but also you don't want to come home with an empty pocket either. Yes. And so you just got to really talk through it and be honest, you know, so that you can work through these challenges. Yeah, that's so great. And I love that you've been able to experience that. And then what you're providing with Iron Sharpens Iron as a forum for guys to be able to to do that as well and to be able to get those same benefits. And women. Yes, that's right. I was going to say Brooks running those. Brooks, uh, the women's director, and we've got four groups of women also uh, that are crushing it. I mean, it's amazing to see what they're doing in their groups as well. And uh, yeah, but we want to help both. Yeah, I love that. And you talk about that in your book as well. You, twice in there, it's isolation is the enemy of excellence. And there is this myth of the self-made person. Mm. And I did it, you know, Frank Sinatra, I did it my way, the whole thing. Yeah. But th- there are so many more people that we can point to who had a group of people around them or they're on a great team or whatever. And and the first thing they do when they go to their next endeavor or next enterprise is they build a great team around them. Yeah, and then they go on and do that next thing. But we shine so much light on the individual. We miss that they have great supporting people or great, you know, they get mentors. They've got people they're mentoring. We miss this chain of success. I think. Here's the thing: Stephen Covey talks about it in the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, to where there's a sense of independence that we need. Right? Healthy people need a sense of independence because you need to be interdependent Hmm. and only independent people that are healthy can be interdependent. And so we need people around. No person has been successful on their own, right? We need advocates around us. We need people that are very competent in various areas because we have a lane of genius that we need to be aligning ourselves. And when you're doing it just out of your zone of competence, you're not going to excel. And so we need other people around us to operate in their lane of genius. Right. And, and it, I love one of the, the best quotes about this uh, was with Isaac Newton, who said, if I've achieved anything, it's because I've stood on the shoulders of giants. And you're thinking, well, Newton said that. Right. <laughs> he he sure. did some things, you know, like sure. if he could be that, you know, successful and that, uh, that important that we're still talking about him, however many years later, maybe it's okay that I, right. I give credit to, to be able to then build myself up uh, around that. And one thing I was thinking about too, with what you talked about, it it fits so nicely with Russell Conwell's Acres of Diamonds, where the people around you are just as much the resources as your, you know, your talents or your gifts or your money or whatever. But God gives us all of these things to put our our shovel in the ground right right where we are. And that's really encouraging. Mm. Yeah. You know, the, uh, the thing that I was thinking about a couple of days ago are the people that you are around. Jim Rohn made the statement, you are the average of the five people you spend mm-hmm. the most time with. And as I get older, I'm finding that to be more true than ever uh, because I want to level up in all areas of my life. Yes, Like I want to be that person that is really trying to improve in small incremental amounts on a daily basis. I, I want to think through how I can commit to constantly and never ending be in a state of improvement. And we can't do that alone. And that's the reason that I say isolation is the enemy to excellence, right? Is because we're created to be in community. And if you really want to excel at the next level, we've got to have people around us uh, to, to push us on. 
And is there a better metaphor than iron sharpening iron? Right? You can't, no, you can't sharpen iron from across the yeah. room. Yeah, they do, they do that regularly <laughs> in our group. If, uh, if you're the faint at heart, you wouldn't last long in our group because, see, I want you to tell me the truth, right? And uh, I tell guys all the time in the mastermind, I said, uh, my objective is not for you to like me. That's a benefit, right? My objective is to make you better. And the only way I'm going to make you better is if that we are sharpening each other and where you're sharpening their sparks generally, right? It hurts. It's painful. Yeah. Yep. But the truth is, is that's the only way we're going to get better. Yeah. John Maxwell says, I'm a coach. I'm not a clown. <laughs> I think that's, exactly. that right. summarizes the whole thing. Like, yes. you know, you don't, you don't make yourself feel better by hiring a personal trainer. You get to be better, right. but this is, you know, this is it. So that, and no, it's so great. I was just going to say that uh, Oliver Cromwell, years, you know, 1600 years ago, I love what he said. He said, he who stops being better stops being good. Hmm. And so, man, we've got to constantly being, you know, in that incremental stage, trying to be better each and every day. Uh, so don't stop being better because if you do, you'll stop being good. That's it. I want to ask you about one more quote in. Sure this in the book and then we're going to do the five big questions to to wrap it up and i really appreciate your generosity with your time aaron um you talk about success or your goals in part in what you eliminate now this is near the end of the book you talk about you and robin having your your guideposts or your goals in line but also i wonder about this especially as you've you know, um, you're focusing on who's around, maybe who's not, you know, what you're striving toward, maybe what you're not, how does, how does eliminating things from your life or, or maybe what used to be important, uh, how is that as much a path to success or significance as what you do reach out for? Yeah. Uh, I think that we need to be an inch wide and a mile deep. Hmm. Most people are an inch deep and a mile wide. Mm -hmm. Greg McEwen talks about it in his book, Essentialism. And the only way you can do that is by paring off things that are unimportant. And uh, I think we have to prioritize our priorities. I think we really need to determine what's important to you. And there's only about five or six things for me that are really important. And if the things that I'm doing don't align with the objective and the goal, then I don't do it. And the biggest thing is, though, is most people don't have a sense of clarity in their life because they haven't taken enough time to really determine what it is that they want in life. And I know exactly what it is that I want in life. And so we're very clear on that. So we establish very clear goals. We use Brian Moran's 12-week year mm -hmm. to follow the task each and every day. And then by adhering to that, then our goals and dreams are accomplished. And so you just can't do that unless you say no to most things. And so just decide with your spouse what's important to you. Establish a path by which to get there and follow the task each and every day until it's accomplished. That's great. It provides you a filter with all the noise, all the opportunities, everything coming your way. Is, does this get me closer to where I really want to be? Right. And if it doesn't, don't do it. A friend of mine lives in Austin, Texas, and he's got a reminder on his calendar that comes up the first day of each month. It says, what are you going to quit this month? Hmm. And so the guy's really focused. He's very, very successful. And, uh, you know, we don't have to be a master at everything. Uh, but those that are really in a niche market and they're really specific and they really know what they want, you can make all the money you want. That's great. 
All right, Aaron, five big questions for you. Uh, this is where, how we end our, our interviews uh, with Made to Thrive. And these are, um, as we seek to encourage, equip, and empower uh, our listeners, uh, those, who are, those who are thrivers uh, who, or who want to be, um, we want to be able to kind of drill down to these. This is rapid fire questions, but they don't have to be rapid fire answers. Okay, <laughs> so, so you can take your time. I'm kind of um, long-winded sometimes. That's all right. No sweat. Uh, so uh, what does it mean for you to thrive? What's, what would be your definition of thriving? You know, I feel like for the majority of my life, I've been thriving because I have a mindset of I can do it. And so I think the questions that you need to ask yourself each and every day is like, how can I do this more efficiently? You've got to be asking yourself these questions on everything. Like, how can mm-hmm. I do this and be more profitable? Uh, how can we serve our customers better? Uh, what is it that I can do to provide more value to meet more people? Yep. And if you can answer positively to those questions and you can answer those, I think any of us could thrive pretty easily. Awesome. Uh, this next one is a question depending on how you want to approach it, either sure. a time when you weren't thriving and would make, and what flip that switch for you or what keeps you thriving. Yeah. So we're looking at maybe a practice, a book, a, a habit, something like that. Yeah. So when was a time I was not thriving? I can think of two distinct times in my life when I wasn't thriving. One is when I was 28 years old, a year after I'd retired. Uh, I wasn't thriving. I'd kicked it in neutral and I thought, hey, I've done pretty good. And uh, I found out that I've got to have purpose and meaning in my life. I'm a creator developer. And when I wasn't creating and developing, uh, I was, I was, I was very depressed. I was getting in the bed in the middle of the day. I gained 50 pounds. I was like bored out of my mind. So I wasn't thriving. Another time I made a very, very poor choice later in life. And I couldn't forgive myself for this very mm-hmm. poor choice. And it disallowed me from thriving because it was all encompassing. It was on my mind constantly and I couldn't work through that. And it was only because of mastermind members accountability partners, people that were personal in my life that could help get me through that. Without those people, I would have maybe not been allowed to come out of that. And so when we have things on our mind that are devastating, there's no way to thrive because you can't separate your business from your personal life, right? They're all encompassing. Mm -hmm. And so we've got to have a clear conscience and a, a great ability to not feel a sense of guilt. That's great. Yeah, there's there's the difference between the conviction of I need to do something differently and the condemnation right. of that. I mean, right. that could be decades. Right. Uh, that's great. Thank you. And what keeps uh, me thriving? Uh, to answer the yeah, second absolutely. Part of your it, question. What keeps me thriving is the, the the desire to achieve, the the desire to help, to encourage, to empower. You know, people ask me all the time, "Why don't you just quit and just?" I'm like, "What would I do? You can only fish and hunt so much and play so much golf." And to me, helping other people change their family tree is far greater than sitting on the beach. You know, everybody says, oh, I'd like to try that for a while. Well, it's, it's okay for a little while, but, but it's not okay long term because I think we all were created uh, for a greater purpose. And so I think we've got to adhere to that. So what keeps me thriving is seeing the transformational experience in the lives of our members. That's great. And that leads beautifully into the fourth question of why aren't more people thriving that you think either people you've, you've met and, and there's something that's yeah. an undercurrent. Um, but in general, like we have the same God, the same, you know, yeah. access to gifts and power. 
Yeah. The thing is, is I think people stay involved in things that don't give them energy. Hmm. They're doing it because it's a golden handcuff. They're doing it because they've backed themselves into a corner. They're doing it because other people expect them to do it. I tell everybody, you know, they say, you should do this. And I always say, don't should on me, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, this is the life I need to live. And if you're doing things professionally today that don't give you energy, I only encourage you to pray through stopping that and doing something that gives you energy. Because as I wrote in my book, uh, we're all one phone call away from our whole life changing radically. And I want to live life to its fullest. I want to live life that's adventuresome. And if you're doing things that you dread today, I would just encourage you to work your way out of that. And that's why people today are not thriving. Totally agree and have lived that. And I appreciate that. (laughs) All right. Last one. Encouragement for others. This could be a verse. It could be a quote. Oh, yeah. That's good. People are afraid to fail. I talk to people all the time. It's like, what's holding you back? And they say, I'm afraid if I do this, it won't work. And I always say, fear missing an opportunity Mm -hmm. more than you fear failure. And if you develop a mindset, like my mom taught me, can't, couldn't do it and could, did it all. uh, And you fear missing an opportunity more than you fear failure. uh, You're going to be very successful and significant throughout your life. That's great. All right. One bonus question. Who else should we be talking to about thriving? Who's somebody that uh, people would benefit from hearing from? An individual? Yeah. Or uh, Yeah. Yeah, there's so many cool people out there today. We have so many people in our mastermind today. I think of a guy named Scott Beebe. Scott Mm -hmm. Beebe owns a company called My Business on Purpose. He's thriving. I think about Derek Champagne. Derek Champagne is thriving out there today. He owns a company called The Access Group, and they're crushing it. He's a digital marker. And one more is our mutual friend, Shane Sams. Flipped Lifestyles. That's right. Shane is crushing it on all fronts. And I think if you get those three people on, you'll have a great interview and they'll help you thrive. That's great. Yeah, we're always about getting people uh, some encouragement and then some tools to be able to help them to thrive as well. And Aaron, you've offered a ton. Thank you so much for uh, your time and being able to share. But also, as you have shown us in in the book, The View from the Top, you took that opportunity. You answered that call to say, you know what? I've had the success. It's been great, but there's something more. And I'm realizing that when I'm doing that something more for other people, it's much more rewarding than anything else could be. So thanks so much for being on the show today. Thanks, Sam. We'll see you, buddy. Thanks again to Aaron Walker for spending time with us today. Just a great example of someone who's thriving and who's not content. Uh, Now that he's found out what significance uh, means to him and what it can mean to other people, he's not content to take his foot off the gas, uh, even though I think uh, outside in, a lot of us might think, you know, he's, he's got it. He's got it pretty good. That's that's a difference here. That's what we're trying to achieve with thriving. So thanks again, Aaron. Looking forward to uh, connecting with you guys about this episode. You can head into uh, the show notes to find links to uh, his book, View from the Top. Uh, also, the master mastermind uh, memberships that he runs uh, at uh, Iron Sharpens Iron. All those things can be found at madetothrive.coach slash 004. This is episode four, so madetothrive.coach slash 004. And if you're curious about whether or not you're thriving uh, and maybe looking for that leap of how do you get from success to significance, we're going to dive into that on Friday's episode. So make sure you're subscribing on whatever platform you're listening to this on. Uh, Be looking out for episode five that's uh, coming up on Friday in our recap. If you have questions about this, 
go to the Made to Thrive podcast Facebook page and post your question uh, by Thursday so we can get it done on Friday's show. Love to be able to dialogue with you about that. And of course, if you're a member of Made to Thrive, we can jump into this in the community. Looking forward to connecting with you guys on Friday. I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful that this has challenged you to rethink thriving, not just in the terms of success, but also in significance. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Made to Thrive. Check out madetothrive.coach for resources and coaching to help you thrive in every area of your life. And get your free assessment at amithriving.com. Talk to you soon.